Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Remember the cousin I went to high school with? Are you talking about the insane man who tried to marry a rooster to protest gay marriage? Yeah, that one. Anyway, he married that girl a few years back. Remember? We went to the wedding. How could I forget? The groomsmen wore camo and the bride had to have her parents sign the marriage certificate. Yeah, it was creepy. Babe, a carnival is creepy. Marrying the neighbor's 17-year-old daughter at 37 years old is just fucked up. Well, she invited me to a Zoom conference a few weeks ago for this new business she's involved in, and it starts in a few minutes. Is this some MLM shit like the last thing she was involved in? Do you remember the company that only made clothing for men with skinny arms? It's the new trend. We're going to be millionaires. They are nearly broke because of these get-rich-quick schemes. I know, I know. I just feel so bad. She only had two people say yes, and I promised her I would attend. Well, shit. Please don't buy anything. Jack, do you think I was born on a turnip truck? I never buy any of this shit. I just smile and tell her I'll think about it. She is not exactly what I call a salesperson. I mean, honey, that voice. Okay, now she can't help that. That's because of a skiing accident. No, 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 no. She was being pulled by a semi-truck while she was on skis over a state highway. Just because there were skis involved does not mean she was skiing. You get my point. Yeah, but again, that voice. It's disturbing. I agree. But she can't help it, so... What is she selling anyway? I don't know. She won't say it's part of the quote-unquote mystery. That's how they get people to show up. The name of the company is something like Butterbark. Okay, listen, I'll watch the kids, but uh, don't buy anything. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for attending my very first meeting for Butterbark Incorporated. I'm very excited y'all are here because you're the first people in my downline. I'm excited to tell you that in my downline, I'm number 346. So I'm only 300 additional downlines from making the Pink Petals line. That's where we get an invitation to next year's cruise, Sailing for Selling. When you make that downline, that's when the cruise price drops 3.5%. And you get a box of pink koozies with your website address to pass out at parties. I am so excited, y'all. So I bet you're super curious to dig right in and learn more about Butterbar. Sure, Sally. 
So glad to be here. I am so honored to be a part of this group. It's been like a year since I was invited anywhere, so I'm just glad to be calling someone besides Little Caesar's Pizza. You're too sweet, Francis. I'm so sad to hear about your pet raccoon. Such a tragedy. I had no idea he was in the dishwasher, poor little guy. He was just so curious, he couldn't help himself. And once the super hot clean cycle started, there was nothing anyone could do. He got a mouthful of Dawn liquid pack and got swept right into the silverware basket. I was mortified. Too tragic. So without further ado, I'd like to roll out my new product line, Butterbark. It is an essential organic tree bark butterscotch oil that is curing illnesses, shredding pounds, and fixing broken marriages across the world. This is the same company who brought you Circle Knife, the knife that cuts in circles. Unfortunately, due to some irresponsible customers, that company has closed its doors. But Butterbark is a company for the times. I just tell you how amazing this product is. I have been using it for four months and I already notice a difference. I've lost three pounds, my love life has never been steamier, and coronavirus doesn't scare me one bit. That's because Butterbark makes COVID go into hiding. That's incredible. That's just incredible. Did you say in hiding? Yes, I did, because I can't legally say it cures coronavirus because, you know, Obama and stuff. But it literally makes COVID hide in your blood until a later date, which, let's face it, a cure is coming over the summer, so I'm excited about this product. Do you want to hear the details of how we make money off this? I know that's why you've come to this call. I literally just shit myself with excitement. I am in. I'll take 40. Is this legal? Perfectly legal. The company founders have made a deal with indigenous Amazonians to harvest the bark. They go deep into the rainforest and retrieve the bark from the elusive butterscotch tree. Then they use a patented process to extract the oils. The process has been handed down from generations of Amazonian forest doctors. Technically, they're not doctors. They are doctores. I have to say that for legal reasons. But this is not the most exciting part. We are going to talk about money. And let me tell you, there is so much money to go around in this brand new opportunity. I am already making $3,000 a week on paper. I want in. I want in. Where do I sign? Also, will there be opportunities to make other friends? Will I be invited to calls like this? I feel like I'm a bit misunderstood, and if people just gave me a chance, I could really bring value to their lives. Of course. You can have all the friends you ever need. We're like a family here at Butterbark. How much money do you make a week, Sally? $3,000 growth. How much of that is profit? I mean, how much do you take for yourself? I pay the company $600. Is that a month? A week. Oh, Sally, what have you gotten yourself into again? No, it's not like the other ones. This one's really gonna work. I'm in a downline where we just cannot lose. How long, Sally? How long have you been doing this? Oh, not that long. Just about 62 weeks. Oh my god, Sally. How much butter bark have you purchased? Well, currently I have about two rooms full of it. Shit. Sally, 
you don't even have two bedrooms in the trailer. I know, me and the kids are sleeping in the car right now, but I believe in this. It's gonna work, you just have to make some sacrifices. I just need to find a few more people in my downline, and then I really start making the good money. And exactly how many people do you need in your downline to start making money? Well, I get a dollar bonus for every person I bring in up to 30 people, and then I start getting $10 a person. So I'm about 28 and a half people away from that dollar bonus. How is it possible to have half a person? We signed up Jingles the dog. Don't tell anybody it's against company policy. And additionally, Jingles was hit by a car and is no longer with us. Sally, I'm sorry. I don't think I can be a part of this. This is exactly like the last five opportunities we discussed. We can't afford to be losing that kind of money. Please, Jane, I'll pay for your first two months. I just need to show that I'm making some progress. Please? Question, do you still have your annual Christmas party? Who, me? Yes, why? Okay, I'll buy all of it. All of what? The butter bark. I'll buy all of it. I just want an invitation to the Christmas party. Done. Ellie, you realize she's in love with your cousin Todd, right? You mean the one on parole? He is like a piece of cake. Can I get an introduction? Francis, you realize he set a KFC on fire for not having waffle fries. You do know that. Don't care. Need human touch. Do we have a deal? Deal. Sally, I meant to mention, Jack and I won't be in town this Christmas. We're going to his parents' house. Oh, I thought they were dead. They are, but we're going to be close to their ashes, and that's good enough for Jack. Listen, you're really going to miss out. I have a Santa costume, and chaps are on the bottom part. That's all I got to say. That's all I want to say. Bye, ladies. Gotta run. Okay, bye, Jane. Okay, Jane. Have a nice night. In early 2020, the world shut down. Stores, restaurants, schools, and whole communities shut their doors in an effort to protect human life. As the world quickly changed, one man went on Facebook to get a degree in Internet Epidemiology. Brian, along with his lab assistant, Hotley, are curing coronavirus by commenting on fake news and reposting recipes of secret virus cures from a friend of a friend who works high up in the government. Join Brian and Hotley as they discuss the world and life during this forced interruption. Learning, laughing, and loving in this real-life commercial break. On this episode of The Commercial Break. So I self-taught myself to play the piano, but that did not end up me being the world's best shredding guitarist. Instantaneously, I'm like, if you you ever need any help, let me know. I want to go to live shows for free, let me know. With Michael McDonald. I wanted to take a minute to let you know we recorded this particular episode weeks ago, long before George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight by a Minneapolis police officer. I also want you to know that the commercial break as a show, Hoadley, me, everyone else that works to put this program together, stand together with the protesters who are standing up against injustice, police brutality, racism, and indifference, which may be the worst of all. We want you to know that we will not use our platform to propagate that prejudice, and we don't support those who do. We want you to be safe, we want you to take care of each other, and we want you to be unified. Know you have our support, and I'm putting out this episode in hopes that you get a laugh out of it. Peace and love. Enjoy this episode of The Commercial Break. The next episode of The Commercial Break 
starts now. So you saw Prince's last live show. I did. It was at Wait, the Fox. Yeah. Fox Theater here in Atlanta. Okay. Amazing. Which must have been... You Obviously, no one had any idea that Prince was ill or sick because he wasn't ill or sick. He just kind of keeled over after an overdose of fentanyl, which is the way some of these other artists have gone, too. Tom Petty died that way, too, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He yeah. Was yeah, people user. are... In- People are in pain, and I think they've got people around them that just aren't. Bunch of yes men. Yeah, and they're like, take this, and it does feel good, makes me feel better, makes the artist feel better, and then, you know, they're addicted, and then there's an an overdose. I think, too, is that, you know, money and time are an addict's worst enemy, and when you're rich, everyone tells you that that's okay. You've probably got a doctor that's prescribing it to you at will. Yep, and uh, no doubt that Prince is walking around in those high heels for you know twenty two years. He's probably got some back problems, but he was an amazing artist. Probably, in my opinion, one of the greatest that ever lived. Absolutely, and I think his influence on all genres of music is, in some cases, way underrated. I think people think of him as like a singer because they know his limited catalog that's released in videos or that's played on the radio. But I believe he was one of the best guitar players that ever lived also. Uh, yes. Without any doubt, if all you have to do is watch some of the live footage, and there's not a ton of it out there, but you watch some of the live footage um, on YouTube and you can see that he's like, that guy can fucking shred. He's amazeballs. Ah, oh, so amazing. He could play every instrument. So I've read of his biographies. And was, he, was he trained? Um, not like, classically. He... I mean, it was his father was a musician. Okay, gotcha. So that kind of just they always had just instruments around, and and then he just he taught himself. He was self taught on like he literally could pick up any instrument and play it. Yeah, so Amazing. I self taught myself to play the piano, but that did not end up <laughs> me being the world's best shredding guitarist. <laughs> I think my I think I've you know I think I have a, some natural talent for it, but it ends at. Mary had a little lamp. So I'm I'm self I'm self taught in cowbell. Cowbell. Yes. More cowbell is what we need. Welcome to the show. <laughs> TCBpodcast.com is where you could go to find out more information about the show. Listen to the episodes. Drop us a comment. Ask us a question. If we like it, we'll answer it on the show. If we don't, we'll block you from the website. Um, <laughs> leave a review. Sharing is caring. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, everywhere else you can find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the show. I've got my good friend, Chrissy Hoadley, good friend and co-host, Chrissy Hoadley here Hello. with me. Hello. Hello, Brian Green. And today we wanted to rap about our craziest or funnest or whatever concert stories because we're all huge lovers of music here. And I wanted to bring in Hoadley's husband, who I refer to kindly as Jeff Hoadley. So, <laughs> welcome, Jeff Hoadley. Hello. And Hoadley, Ho- Jeff Hoadley is is no mere uh, watcher of the music industry. He is one of the cogs in the wheel, a very important man in the music business. Spent 10 years doing uh, live concert promotion, is now an executive producer, and is highly involved in the beautiful and wonderful brand new music festival uh, in Memphis called Memfo. You're on year number, or you were going to be on year number three. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. I mean, year number three, but that's canceled this year. No, there's yep. been three. There's been three. This was going to be year four. Oh, sorry. Year number four. That's right. There's been three. You're, we're going to do your fourth, that's but yep. now you've pushed it back to 2021. So, Jeff, welcome Hopefully. to the show. Thanks. I appreciate Thanks for having me. On. Thank you. So, tell me what you obviously 
understand more than most people the effect that COVID-19 has had on the music business because your festival is in October, right? That's right. And, and you just went ahead and canceled it, I don't know, a month and a half ago. You guys, like, right off the bat were like, not going to happen. Too, it's, even if it does happen, it's going to be too crowded, right? The space will be too crowded. Too many live events happening in that month. We feel like we're just, you know, pissing in the wind, so to speak, throwing a music festival together when every other music festival in the world is going to try and cram it into October. But now it looks unlikely that any music festival is going to happen in October anyway. So tell me about the decision-making process that went behind that. And what are the, like, what's, what kind of nightmare is it to move a festival like that? Yeah, it's a big nightmare. The, uh, we saw early on that we didn't think that there was a possibility that we are, there was a possibility that there could be an outbreak again in the fall. And there's obviously a lot of the lot that goes into putting on a festival from the operation standpoint to, you know, securing artists um, and obviously the fans, you know, and the, the sure. health of the health of our patrons are is the number one priority and safety. So we saw early on that, that there could be you know, potentials for, for a lot of issues. Um, and then we saw every festival pushing to September, October and, as big as the festival world is, there's, there is actually limited resources in terms of uh, staging, st- and staging and, and personnel and having the right people and you know, the right artist relations person or the right stage managers and the right you know, personnel and, and staging and lighting and everything else. So once we saw major festivals like Bonnaroo and Coachella and all these others moving to the fall, that was yet another set of challenges. So the decision once we kind of all got together it it actually the decision was pretty easy for us to 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 uh to pull the trigger and 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 move it to to next year so it, it's painful painful to do it but uh but I think it was the right move so when so you guys make a decision basically that says like it's just a very easy decision We're, we may not have the people we may fall low on the priority list as far as labor and staging and all this stuff are concerned we don't want to fight for resources it probably gets more expensive that way Tell me about the artists. Do you are they on board with this? Do you communicate with them ahead of time? Obviously, the artists are already booked, or at least they have letters of intent, right? They're booked. What are the conversations like? Are they all on board? They're saying, "Yeah, we agree with you. This is this ain't going to happen this year." Yeah, we were early on in the in the process of, of booking artists this year, so we didn't have a full schedule uh, locked in at this point. But uh, at that point. Um, yeah, and you know the thing about it is, is you could have bought a pandemic insurance policy prior to all this, you know, relatively uh, cheaply. On, the che- on relatively cheaply. Now no one can afford one. Now um, one of the few examples of somebody that did was uh, Wimbledon, the tennis tournament. They've been buying pandemic insurance for, I think, the last fifteen years, roughly. No shit. And they just cashed in um, wow. a sev- several I didn't even know that. several billion dollar. Um, uh, they just cashed in because of the cancellation of Wimbledon. So seven, several billion dollars. Yep, that's insanity. Good for them. Yep, smart move, chickens. I mean, yep. obviously, you buy rain insurance, you buy flood insurance, you buy fire insurance, you buy whatever insurance. When you're putting on a festival that's costing you millions of dollars, no stone goes unturned. But a pandemic hasn't happened in a hundred years, and I guess we all kind of assumed that if a pandemic did happen, it'd be handled a lot better than this, right? So, yeah, yeah I mean, you'd yeah. think that it just, it's just something that doesn't cross your mind. It's like, I don't know, terrorism insurance before 9-11. You don't buy it. It's not, who cares, right? right. 
it's it's not even worth the cost. So 2021, you how do you feel about 2021? Because I'm I've heard, and I don't have as well placed sources as you do, obviously, but I have my f- fingers here and there, right? I've heard that Live Nation is is re- preserving cash to fall of 2021. They they think that they may not have another concert filling a stadium or um, or a venue like they did previous to the pandemic until fall of 2021 or maybe even spring of 2022. Uh, that's what I'm, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's a race with science right now, but I, I sure. think that, that most of the big artists that I've uh, have had some limited contact uh, with over the last couple of months, everybody's kind of eyeing uh, next summer uh, as mm. a starting, as a starting point. So um so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, it's 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 science, and and when when people feel safe to go out, they'll we'll all well, it'll be a hell of a party when we all do go out. God bless, man! I can't yes. wait till we can get back to concerts. I had a lot of concert tickets this summer. I had Fish. I had a couple Pearl Jam shows. I had some concerts that I was really looking forward to go to. The Pearl Jam shows have already come and gone, and I got my money back for one of them. But the other one that was in Nashville, I just kind of hanging on because I have really good seats. So I'm just like ah, I'm hanging on and hoping that they reschedule, but. They haven't give, given any information out. And my understanding is Live Nation, Pearl Jam asked that Live Nation refund that those dollars, right? So they agreed to that. But my my understanding is Live Nation is not canceling a lot of concerts until they absolutely have to because they don't want to refund the money. They're trying to preserve the cash, right? Make interest on interest and all that other good stuff. They want it. They're shoring up their financials, even if it's in a short period of time. So fish there's is a, there's out. A, there's a... Uh, there's a- there's a lot of controversy out there in the ticketing industry right now in terms of how sure. this is being handled. And, um, a lot of this is, is going to see courtrooms. Um, and you know, the, the, the definition of postponed versus canceled mm-hmm. and refund policies, uh, you know, there's so many, so many ticketing platforms right now yeah. and, and some are handling it well and others are, are not. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We had tickets to the Doobie brothers. <laughs> I love had, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, we freaking and with Michael McDonald. With Michael McDonald. Yes. He's amazing. That's I love why, Michael McDonald. That's why we got the tickets. Sounds and like he's singing with a dick in his throat. I love yeah, him. He, but he's got a great he voice. Still he's just sounds like, the same. He you still can, sounds the same. And you cannot miss Michael McDonald's voice from a million miles away. No, I can't wait to fairy. go back to concerts because some of my best memories, I think all of us, right? It's like music and booze and fun and sex or whatever it is. It's all kind of intertwined. <laughs> and I wonder how these big festivals are going to fare, like Bonnaroo and stuff. Like we went to Bonnaroo. Jeff, you, um, a couple years ago, this is a funny story. I think. A couple years ago, actually, not even a couple years ago, many years ago. <laughs> eight years ago. Eight years ago? Is that how long ago eight, this was? Eight, eight years ago. Holy shit, I'm getting yeah. old. I felt like I was old back then because I'd like bailed out. In the... So eight years ago, Chrissy and Jeff had just started dating. And uh, I'll never forget when you guys started dating. I think I was there maybe one of the first days that you guys knew each other. You were, you were, you were. Chrissy and Jeff lived in an apartment complex here in Atlanta, and they lived a door down from each other. So it was like one end of the hallway and another end of the hallway in this huge apartment complex in midtown Atlanta. 
And uh, I was hanging out with Chrissy, as we often did back then, and just on a Saturday afternoon or whatever it was. We were having margaritas. That's right. We were having margaritas. I think we were down at the pool, or we were just dicking around Atlanta. Yeah. So we get back to her house, and she says, you know, I met this guy. Like, he he helped me with my groceries. Is that is that the story? He helped well, you with I, your groceries? I helped, I helped him with oh, he, his oh. groceries. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2020. Get your shit straight, Brian. That's right. Chivalry is not dead. Exactly. Um, so... Chrissy helps him with his groceries, and then she says to us, uh, me and a, another girl that were with us, she she says, hey, I met this guy this afternoon, and he's my neighbor, and I you know, think he's kind of cute. And we're like, oh, cool, you know? So Jeff knocks on the door, or calls, or whatever it is, later oh. on in the evening, called, and he says, hey, why don't you guys come over and have a drink? I'm home, and you know, come on over. Chrissy says, I got my friend here, and yeah, yeah, come on by. And so Jeff and I and Chrissy get, it's the three of us, in Jeff's apartment, Jeff and I hit it off. We're talking about music and shooting the shit. And I'm fascinated by his live promotion stuff. And I'm like, uh, instantaneously. Yeah, instantaneously, I'm like, if you, if you ever need any help, let me know. <laughs> I want to go to live shows for free. Let me know. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about, I swear. Um, and so Jeff's like patting me like a little dog. Yeah, sure, I'll call you. Um, but then at some point during the evening, <laughs> Chrissy is just like, gives me the un- mistakable sign that it's time for me to get the fuck out of the house you mean, like, by, by that by that i said you need to get the fuck out yeah you say you need to leave <laughs> you need to leave he said don't you need to be somewhere i like kind of sometimes i would spend the night at christy's house if i'd get too drunk and i was kind of like oh i thought we were gonna crash she's like, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna hang here you go you should go home <laughs> go home <laughs> it's only was- three o'clock in the morning <laughs> I was like, damn, that was that was a forced Irish exit there. I was yeah. I was I was shocked. I was like, I, I, is that okay to tell your friends to leave like that? I was like, yeah, I've known him for years. It's cool. Jeff, you must have known the green light was it was a green light go because yeah. she literally patted me on the butt on the way out. She was like, Don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> so then a couple months later, or maybe even not even a month later, I don't know, she calls me up and she says I'm going to go to Bonnaroo with Jeff. He is producing a television show live from Bonnaroo or, you know, he was working for billboard. Yeah. He's working for billboard TV. And he says, I'm producing this show live for uh, billboard at Bonnaroo. I've got a couple tickets. I've asked Jeff if he can get you an extra pass. And I was like, Oh my God, that's fucking insane. She says this on a, on a Wednesday, we have to leave. And you know, the next day and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'm in, I'm in. So we pack up, we jump in, Chrissy's car and we drive all the way (laughs) and grab a couple of backstage passes at some cheap motel on the side of the road and we head to the show and lo and behold it's a green light go pass like we're we're backstage we're in the VIP area all the artists are walking around Jeff's kind of working and then he'd come back and have a beer with us and then he'd go back and work and Chrissy and I are just sitting back there like, oh, there's Tom York from Radiohead. How fucking cool is that? And Ludacris. Ludacris was sitting right yeah. in front of us. So Jeff was doing an interview with him or, or was producing an interview with him. And so the day is going on. It's hot as fucking shit. And oh, my God. we're back there. There's a bunch <laughs> of tents, but you know some of them are cordoned off because they're private areas for artists and stuff like that. So Chrissy and I have no idea where we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. <laughs> and, but there's free beer all over the place. But there's a couple of backstage areas. And one of them, you have to kind of like walk through the crowd and walk through this crowded place and then get over there. And then everyone's, you know, it's, all, it's not like the VIP VIP area. It's like where people pay to be VIP. So it's free booze, but you're with the common people, right? And Chrissy and I now have these passes and we're not with the common people. So I'm like, I'm going to go hunt down some fucking beer, right? I need to get a couple of extra beers. And I picked the first and I say, Chrissy, what do I say? Like if someone stopped me, uh, tell him you're with Jeff from Moon Taxi. Hey, hey, um. 
so I didn't feel that comfortable leaving the pass at the front desk there. So what I did is I put it in an envelope in the very front pouch of my briefcase, which is over by the closet in the room. So envelope in front pouch of briefcase with your name on it. Um, and nobody's going to ask, but if they did, if anybody did ask, you're a guest of Moon Taxi, Moon Taxi and Don Van Tweez, but nobody's going to ask, but just thought I'd be super prepared. So anyway, um, so that's it. Call me back. Okay, bye. <laughs> and I'm like, Jeff with Moon Taxi? What the fuck does that mean? Okay, I'll tell him what I'm with Moon Taxi. I walk into the first tent I see, and there's a guy standing there. And he says, oh, hey, man. And I'm like, oh, hey, I'm with Moon Taxi. And he's like, you're with Moon Taxi? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in Moon Taxi. I got Moon Taxi. Whatever I say, right? I'm the Moon Taxi. I took the Moon Taxi. I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Weren't they Moon Taxi? It, well, here's the story. So I walk in and I go straight to the cooler and I grab a couple of beers. And there's another guy. He's like standing behind the cooler. And he's like, oh, hey, man, that's uh, I think that's, you know, that's for Moon Taxi. And I'm like, yeah, we're with Moon Taxi. I'm Moon Taxi. <laughs> I'm the main guy in Moon Taxi. I don't even know what the fuck Moon Taxi is, but here I am. This beer is for me. It says Moon Taxi. <laughs> so I think I'm entitled to the beer. And the guy's like, really? You're with Moon Taxi? And I'm like, yeah, Jeff from Moon Taxi? And he's like, I don't think there's a Jeff in Moon. So I'm like, I don't know. It's Moon Taxi. I'm in Moon Taxi. So I take the beers and on the way out the door, there's another guy, right? And he says, hey, I think that beer's for Moon Taxi. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with Moon Taxi. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm with Moon Taxi. I am Moon Taxi. You're not with Moon Taxi. <laughs> and I'm like, I was told that I'm with Moon Taxi. <laughs> Moon Taxi is a band, by yeah, the way. It's a, and I had no fucking clue, right? I thought it was the name of a company or we were just like the VIP area and it was named. And so the guy finally relented and he said, or he just finally, I think he just realized that I was way in over my head in this bullshit that I was spewing. And he just said, okay, man, you know, take those beers, but I think you got to go get them from somewhere else next time. And I was like, I come back to Chrissy and I'm like, Chrissy, I said Moon Taxi. And they said, you're not with Moon Taxi. We don't even know who, we don't even know who you are. And Chrissy's like, Moon Taxi. Taxi's a, a band. It's a band. And I'm like, oh, it's a band, not a company. I look like a fucking shithead. I'm just taking everybody's beers. But I have never, honestly, I have never been, had so much access to such a huge festival. And, and that was an incredible day. From your side of it, Jeff, like, tell me about, I know you're producing the, the Billboard, but Radiohead played that year. Tell us, like, what, what your angle is on that. You must be fucking. Is that cool to you, or is it just something you're so used to? It's like, well, whatever. When you're backstage like that, hanging out. No, it's fun. It depends on it. It depends on the job. But that 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 particular uh, weekend, we were just doing uh, packages for interviews for for you know, kind of live from Bonnaroo and kind of updates from Man on the Street type of stuff. So, but yeah, no, I I have a blast doing like that that type of thing. I've just done that. Just the Grammys. I've, I've been I've done that for I've done that type of work for for many many years. So whether at tons of different festivals, it could be grueling, and you could have overnight editors and be you know dropping shit off at midnight, picking stuff up at six a.m. But in the in the the timelines can be can be funky. But no, I have a, I have a blast doing it. I'm, I'm I'm a music lover and I love talking to musicians and. Um, I remember interviewing Kenny Rogers that weekend too. Oh, you interviewed Kenny Rogers the, that night? I think I think it was that year. I can't remember. They all kind of run together, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I enjoy doing that. It, it, it's fun. So, and most artists are are pleasant to to work with, and yeah, I, I dig it. So we get through the afternoon. 
Chrissy and I are just kind of bopping around while Jeff's doing his thing. We're going back and forth yeah. and back and forth. Jeff's getting off. At some point, Jeff's going to get off. And I know that I'm going to get, again, get patted on the butt, right? Because that's Chrissy's not here to see Brian. Brian, she can see Brian any day of the week. She's here to see Jeff. So I decide that at some point the sun goes down and Radiohead is starting to play. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I got to go make my friends out here somewhere. And I think I may have had some friends at the show or something and I'm trying yeah. to find them. Mm-hmm. And so at some point I end up in the other VIP area and I meet a young lady and a couple of her friends. And so we're all talking and we're sharing beers and I'm getting a little frothy at this point. Like we've been in the sun all day long. You know, I could take down at that point, I could take down a 13 pack of Bud Light in about six (laughs) hours. So I was and still stand straight up. I was pretty shit faced and I don't really remember what happens, but something starts to happen. And I realize at some point I realize that I've been given something. I ate something. I took something. Something happened. I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I can't tell you what happened. But I, that unmistakable turn in your mind where you're like, oh, shit, what did I take? Or what Hello, happened? funny feeling. Hello, spinny wheels. <laughs> so I start walking up and back and forth in the crowd in, in Radiohead. And at the time, I was dating a girl don't need to mention her name, but we had a rather tumultuous relationship. And I was walking back and forth trying to get a hold of this girl that I was dating, right? And she wasn't answering the phone. And sometimes I had service and sometimes I didn't. And I just remember walking back and forth in the crowd, smoking cigarettes, like all the way to the fence and then all the way to the front and then all the way to the fence and then all the way to the front. At the time, I had a friend who lived in the town where Bonnaroo is uh, produced. Like, what's the name of the town? Manchester. Manchester. She lived in Manchester. And when I called her on the way up because I knew we only had one hotel room and I certainly wasn't going to be welcome there, right? Because it's the Jeff and Hoadley show. So I'm, exactly. I called her on the way up and I said, hey, can I please stay at your house? She says, I get out of town on this weekend because I don't want to have anything to fucking do with it, but I'm leaving you a key under the mat. Do you know where my house is? And I say, yeah, I know where your house is because I've been there before. I gave so, you my car. You gave, all you, all you had to say was you were with Moon Tax. <laughs> That's all I had to say. I'm just... <laughs> Because the Ritz Carlton in Manchester, Tennessee, was going <laughs> to was going to invite me right in with Moon Taxi. They only have Motel Six and like like the Holiday Inn and yeah, motels. Ever. That'll change over years. Yeah. Probably. So I so Hoadley, I have Hoadley's car keys, and I text Hoadley and I say, "I'm going to go find Anna's house." This I'm is like, the good take name of the my girl. car. Yeah, take go. your car. Go. I'll, ride, I'll ride back with Jeff. That's what I, I don't I give a shit. I just you don't go. want you around. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ride back with Jeff. So I, at some point, decide that I am going to go find a, find Chrissy Hoadley's car, which I have no fucking clue where it is, and I am so <laughs> spun out, I have no idea. I literally walked a mile and a half out that gate to find Chrissy's car, and when I got to Chrissy's car, I realized that I probably shouldn't be driving, but it's just a little short drive over to this house in Manchester, so I'm going to take the chance. I drove. In the middle of the night, now it's probably about midnight, I drive in the middle of the night and I try and find this girl's house. I have no fucking clue where her house is. I think I see the street. I think this is the house. I think that is the house. I finally get to what I believe is the house. I pull up and I get out of the car. And as soon as I get out of the car, there's a gentleman in the gla- like in the, in the window. And I'm like, oh no, that's not Anna's house. And I get back in the car and I go and I drive around and I think I see another house, but it's got two cars in the driveway. I can't find her house. I have no clue. In the dark, they all look the same. And I'm like texting her trying to you know trying to ask she doesn't respond so i'm like okay 
fine. You know what? I'm just going to go find a hotel room somewhere. I'm going to get out. I'm going to find a hotel room. Manchester to the next town, to the next town, to the next town, to Chattanooga. (laughs) (laughs) To Dalton. I'm just going home. Yeah, to just all the way back to Atlanta. I spent six (laughs) hours in the car driving around, (laughs) shit hammered. I mean, I should never have been driving. I don't know what, what made me believe that that was the right thing to do. But I drove so fucking far just to get back to Atlanta. And by the time I woke up, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. Christy's calling me. She's like, where'd you go? And I'm like, well, I'm back in Atlanta. And she's like, are you going to come back? And I'm like, if it's all right with you, why don't you just come back? And then I'll give you your car when you get here. Mark of a good friend. It's a mark of a great friend. And I think I had your car for like 10 days after that because you were just like, I'm with Jeff. Don't worry about it. Just Give me your car back whenever. (laughs) I'll get my car next Tuesday. What is the craziest thing that, what is the craziest concert story you ever, you have? Because I think that's one of the craziest that I probably have. I probably have a few others that might match that. But driving home in the middle of the night after seeing Radiohead at Bonnaroo is pretty, on a seven and a half hour drive is pretty good. So you Jeff, need a lifeline. You, yeah, you need to li- call a lifeline. You've been doing this for two decades now, right? And you've produced major concert festivals. You've been backstage. I know there's got to be a story way crazier than driving home at you know three o'clock in the morning from Bonnaroo. So hit me with it. I want to hear your craziest story because you've been. That's what you do. Well, there's been so many. There's the most infamous story that i have involves uh two live crew <laughs> the rap band two live crew oh uh, me so horny oh oh me so horny great man great man great cultural are they a band yeah they're a group a thing <laughs> they're a thing <laughs> so i was promoting a two live crew this is when i lived over in in oxford mississippi and um I was promoting a show, I believe it was end of 96, um, wow. and so the concert, the show sold out, and um, it was, you know, there was a thousand kids there, I say kids, it was mostly fraternity and sorority kids, and um, so we got, to, my partner and I got to the show a few minutes late, and we're in the back, and it's packed, and we're selling tons of booze, and things seem fine. And then all of a sudden, the, they had these dancers that were on stage, and the dancers go off the stage, and they come back out, and they don't have any tops on. And we're like, oh, these girls have no, no tops on. And fully nude. I mean, f- I mean, fully nude from the waist up. From the waist up. And, and so my partner and I look at each other and said, oh, this could be a problem. You know, you're in a Bible belt, you know, it, it, deep Fucking south. Oxford, Mississippi, deep, deep, yeah. Deep south, you know, place. And, and so... We let it kind of, we let it go for a minute, and let it ride. we let it ride for a minute. Then, then the girls go off stage, and they come back for the, the next song, and they're fully a hundred percent nude. Whoa! So, so at this point, then like Ching Chang's ha- hanging out and everything, everything, and it's the Miso Horny Dancer. So it's three three women, oh my god, com- completely nude on stage <laughs> in front of a thousand people, and so we. I, my partner and I look at each other, and, and so he's like, "I'll go. I'll, I'll take care of the stage. You take care of the soundboard." So, I've the, so the idea was, I'd go over the cut soundboard. I'd, I'd yeah. cut. I'd cut the cut the sound. He'd go to the stage, deal with deal with the you know the performers, and I'd cut the lights on too. Oh, but there's so, more. 
So <laughs> that that took it very well documented. That took about eleven minutes to accomplish that to run through all the the audience and and get everything done. What happened in that eleven minutes is is uh is pretty famous oh there was all sorts of stuff that i guess Imagine. we're on a po- i guess we're on a podcast so we can say whatever the hell we yeah, want to say, say sure yeah but there was uh, all 11 listeners are, are just interested in what you have to say <laughs> <laughs> they uh there was many lewd and obscene gestures that and not just gestures acts that occurred in that 11 minutes there was there luke was and the L- girls or just the girls doing whatever they're doing the girls were doing um they put uh uh lollipops in their vaginas <gasps> and then were throwing them out into the audience there was there was strap that's on. my favorite kind of lollipop a lollipop <laughs> pussy there was there was uh, <laughs> a labia lollipop i love it they had brought audiences of the members of the audience up on stage and were performing lewd acts on stage. Were they giving uh, blowjobs on stage? They gave one kid a kind of semi hand job, semi one with uh, with no whipped cream and stuff. Way. And um, it was it was uh, it, it, a lot of stuff went on during these eleven minutes, and so we we shut down the show. And the lights went on, and by the time that the police arrived. The band was across the county line at that point. They they, They jumped on the bus and got out. They knew. They knew. Anybody that's worked with with hip hop or rap artists know that most most demand to get paid before they even go on stage. So they had been paid and they were across the county line by the time that the the police arrived. Um, The show was over at that point. I, mean, I thought just the show was over, but that was really just yeah. The show was over. I did what I needed to do. I I, I cut them off, and what else can just, you ask? That for? was just the beginning, and that just turned into the beginning of the story. So anyway, the police at Oxford. Okay, wait. Let's buy, let's stop for just one second because I want to I want to inform. We have a lot of younger listeners of the show who may not even have been born in 1996, but Two Live Crew is a pretty famous rap group that gained not- coming out of Miami, Florida, that gained notoriety by putting together some of the dirtiest rap that you ever heard. When I say dirtiest, I mean dirty, like penthouse letters in rap form, right? Correct. And some of their songs were edited to broadcast on air, and they kind of became like a circus. Like everywhere this guy, Luke, who headed up the group, went. Skywalker. Yeah, Luke Skywalker was his, his onstage name. And wherever he went, trouble came. Police wanted to arrest him. 1996 is not like 2020. And even in 2020, you can't have girls on stage sticking lollipops up their chooch on. You know, that stuff's just not allowed. And so he made a show of it. Everywhere that he went, they became extremely popular for like half a second because they were the act that no one could handle. Essentially, it was just too much. They were doing the crudest, rudest, crazy stuff out there. And so it kind of be, and then of course, then the freedom fighters get involved, right? Uh, this is too crude. We don't want it. And then the other guys are saying, Tipper. "Hey, free speech and, and Tipper Gore." Tipper yeah. Gore. And it, that, that, they they made it all the way to the, the their case made it to the Supreme Court. Yeah, they, they, they did. And I, the, uh, what was the thing that they had on the the, the parental warnings? Parental parental warnings. warnings is is probably in part due to. Uh, two live crew, or maybe in whole, right? That's kind of what tipped the edge. So when you see a parental warning on on a CD cover, if you even know what a CD is, <laughs> that's that's why. And now these parental warnings that come along with TV and movie and shows and all this other stuff, really, it started back in 1996. And so, Jeff, let me ask you just a couple questions about the show before you get into the jail part of this. When you, do you contact their management directly, or you contact? Did they even have management at that time, or are you just contacting them to to book the show? 
No, I, I believe we went through their agent. They, they okay. Had, they, they had an agency. And so they're taking a tour and you say, hey, why don't you stop here and yeah. we'll pay yeah. you X amount of dollars. You remember how much you paid them? A uh, couple thousand, well, 10,000, 15? Uh, a couple, couple grand, I think. A couple grand. Okay. And so at this point, are they at the beginning or the end of this craziness that's happening? Are they at the beginning of the 15 minutes of fame or at the end? I think they're, towards they're kind the of. Towards it, the end. It, yeah. They, they, it, towards the end, but uh, they were still riding it, though. They were still riding it. Pretty yeah. Bad. They were still riding it. Are they. But, did yeah. you meet them? Are they. Is it just I, like, are they I too did. much? I yeah. Met, I know. I met all those guys. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he seemed rather nice once you got him calmed down. This guy, Luke Skywalker. Like at least in interviews I've seen, I mean he was he was pushing the envelope, but he seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, they were all like? pa- they were they were all packing heat. I remember that they were all carrying guns. They were all carrying guns. I do into the Ox. Well, I mean you're in Oxford, Mississippi as a black man, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the, that so was the first much. for me. I, I had not I promoted a thousand shows prior to that one, and, and never, never seen uh, an artist with a gun. Never seen an artist with a gun. No. Okay, so little little rant is over. So I just wanted to make sure that we that people understood who Two Live Crew was. You should go back and do a little homework on Wikipedia about Two Live Crew. So now the police show up. So there's 11 minutes between the girls getting up on stage fully nude and starting to perform extraordinarily lewd acts. I mean, a strip club wouldn't allow this, right? Correct. So and even at some bachelor, this is the kind of stuff you would see at a bachelor party with some really ragtag strippers. Yes, and so. That, which is probably what they were, right? And I imagine yes. they just he just kind of pays them good money to go up and make a scene so that he can get some press is probably how this happens. So you go, you pull the plug, you turn the lights on, show's over, see you later. They get out the back door and they don't look back. They just head out because they've already been paid. How many minutes into the show are you, like 15 minutes? No, this is probably uh, maybe six, seven songs into it. Okay, so you're six or seven songs. So you, you kind of got your money's worth, right? People yeah, the, be, the, the Be So Horny Dancers didn't come out till about the third song or so third okay or song. so show's over how long does it take for the cops to get there uh t- it's a small town so it was 10 or 15 less, minutes less than 10 yeah. minutes yeah okay. okay so cops show up what happens next go on so lights are on everybody's just stunned like, everybody's walking around just going what just happened did you see that did, i can't believe i just witnessed that and oh the police God. are trying to figure out what happened and we just figured what, my, my business the police partner, are doing just, an investigation just, into what the labia polybox. We just figured it was over at that point. And um, when, in fact, it, it was just beginning. So the police had gotten wind that there was a that somebody had videotaped it somehow or another that they, no got, they got word around. that Oh, so and so had made a, a video copy of this. So there became this great mystery of who has this video and ultimately, um, we, we were able to track down the guy that had the video. And we thought we got the tape before the police did. So we had a ceremony. We viewed the tape. We're astonished. We couldn't even, because I was busy trying to shut down. Sure, the you're running around trying to cut and the I, cord. When, when I finally saw this tape, I was like, oh, my God. I, cannot, I couldn't believe what, what, I, what I witnessed and, or, or didn't witness in, in live. And so... At that point, the we had a ceremonial burning of this tape. We buried it in a backyard oh, and burned it, and that no was it. And shit. We said, "That's it. We're, you know, we'll never view this thing again." Well, it turns out that that this kid had made a copy. Of course, of course. he did. <laughs> of course he did. He, he, this is his money trail. There's, he's going. So, he's going to sell it to every fraternity there's in America. Always a copy. So always. he. So so the police show up with a warrant. And um, and and get this tape from this kid. Oh my! So God. 
that began a series of um, they they pressed charges against my partner and I for allowing lewd and uh, lascivious acts. Wasn't there behavior. somebody that was involved in the audience that um, was a high up? political person or his daughter was on his daughter was on stage and she she was not doing she was she was involved in a sexual act and there was political ramifications no shit so wait the daughter of a local politician was up on stage yeah Yeah. what like show like showing her tits or what was going on something like that she 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 enjoyed uh she enjoyed the miso horny dancers oh my god so so you So they decide they're going to press charges. And, of course, I would imagine that at that time, producing a videotape with that kind of footage also comes along with its own consequences, right? So now not only are you allowing the acts, but then they're being videotaped. Right, right. Holy so, shit. So they end up- videotape, just one little side note here, because there weren't iPhones back then. Was there yeah, somebody had, with like a, like a camcorder? It was, it, was a, it was a camcorder. It was a camcorder. Yeah. A little handheld. Well, I got to imagine you're going to see two live crew. It's a total fucking circus. If you have a camcorder, you're probably bringing it, right? <laughs> Who? Uh, our younger audience does, has no idea camcorder. what a camcorder was. C-A-M-C-O-R-D-E-R. Camcorder. So you, so the police, so this takes a little bit of time, but the police eventually say, we're going to press charges against you guys. You guys right. allowed this to happen. Right. Right. You encouraged so, it to happen. So that be, that kind of sets off a wave of, of and, and look, the, the internet wasn't what the internet is today, but it, it started off a wave of press. And there was, there was press, uh, you know, uh, beginning to percol out on a, certainly on a local level. And then it became, it became a national story. And so we, they set a court date for us and we, we've got a team of attorneys as well as the, uh, um, yeah, the, the, we, we've got a we've got a bunch of folks that are representing us who feel. Do like they we, represent you pro bono? Do they say we're jumping in here because we they, want to be a part they, of it? They did. They did. Yeah. And um, we had civil liberties uh, uh, folks that were doing pro bono work for us too, as well oh, as our, our, our normal attorney as well. And so we strike a uh, a deal with the prosecuting attorney. And as you know, when the, when the defense strikes a deal with the with the prosecutor 99.9% of the time, the judge is going to go with, with what that deal is, is going to, you know, it will most of the time it'll, the, the punishment yeah, the, will, will look like what something like what the, what the deal they, they struck. The prosecutor is representing the people, right? Yeah, and yeah. so the judge is elected by the people. So he says, or she says, Hey, listen, if the people agree that this is a punishment suiting the crime, then, who am I to step in and say otherwise? But the judge has the ultimate say. If you put together a plea deal, it doesn't always mean that it's going to go down like that. So I'm imagining what happens next. <laughs> so we get to court, and the Honorable Glenn Alderson. Glenn he Alderson. Was, he was a good Oxford, old boy. Mississippi. Honorable Glenn. Well, he heard vaginal insertion, and then he took a break to go look at the tape. And no he, he walks back into the room and he said, boys, you brought the snake in. So you're responsible for the snake and slammed his gavel down and said, six months in prison. Bam. Bam. Six months and, in prison and, and sentenced, sentenced me and, and my partner to, to six months in jail. So, Jeff, this is insane. This is an <laughs> <Right>? insane story. <laughs> 
<laughs> Six months in prison for promoting a concert. Yes. So the next thing Ludax. I know, I'm, 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 I've got cuffs on. I'm shackled. I'm going into, and I've got like channel five and channel 11 in my face now. And I'm going into the back of the cop car. They're wheeling me off to the, the maximum security prison they have in, in Oxford. And I'm like, what? And then next thing I know, I'm in pod C of maximum security in an orange jumpsuit. And I, my partner and I are looking at going, what the hell is going on? So we're sitting in jail and our attorney at some point, a few hours later comes in and says, look, I can get you guys. We can post bail right now and get you guys out. Get you or, guys leave town. <laughs> get you out of the country. But, but the, but the issue is it, you'll have to, you know, you'll have to, uh, you might have to go to the, the next state court as opposed to the local court. And I don't know what they're going to, how they're going to view this. So his recommendation to us was stay put, for right now and let's just see if we can sway popular opinion and the judge to just let you guys out uh in the, in a day or two so we stayed in prison for 10 days no and, fucking shit and it was it was getting to the point where like i was just like let's just post 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 bail and, and get are out. you in the state are you in the state prison or are you in the in the city holding cell like in the it, city jail it's a it's a uh, it's a maximum security facility that they have there for that handles I think people mostly in northern Mississippi. I could be okay. Gotcha. About that. But, wow. but it's it's not it's not your like little podunk type of you know county jail type of thing. I mean it's a it's a it's a large facility. Um, so I, I learned to I learned a lot in those ten days. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to make a shank. <laughs> I learned how to trade my potatoes for cigarettes. I could, I, I, speaking of cigarettes, I could learned how to light one by you took toilet paper and rolled it up, and you would put it into the uh, the electrical outlet and yeah, yeah. jostle it until it caught on fire, and then that's the way you could light your light your smoke off of that. Oh man, I've been there. I spent a couple of days, in, but it was but it was like the city jail, right? And it was for something having nothing to do with like lewd and vicious acts. And the judge didn't throw six months at me. Six months is a long time in prison. Yep. So, Are you nervous? Are you fucking shitting yourself that you're going to spend the next six months in jail? No, because I, we knew that we could have gotten out and, and we could have posted bail at any point, but we just knew that what was going to happen next was, was the big issue. Was that If we went to the state court down in Jackson, Mississippi, would they view this the same, and then would we actually have to serve the entire six months? So we were rolling the dice at that point. Howard and, Stern is checking in on this, by the way. So this becomes a national story at this point, and Howard Stern picks it up, and the the rock radio station in Memphis was you know, the morning show there was kind of checking in on us every day. Meanwhile, the entire city of of Oxford was there was people wearing black you know black ribbons and they were put, they, they were they were putting up they were putting up Jeff is dead <laughs> Jeff died. <laughs> There were letters, letters to the editor. The, the uh, apparently the, the judge got flooded by letters. It was a it was a huge you know it was it became a thing. No and so on, shit. On the morning after the tenth day, tenth night, um, he let us go with time served, and so that ultimately became, uh, you know, my, my probably my most memorable 
concert story. And I would say you got me beat by a fucking mile. I mean, that's unbelievable. Just to bring it all back, just to bring it all back to Bonnaroo, the year that we were talking about, Jeff revealed this story to me that year at Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that's not second date material. That's, that's stuff you break out a couple awesome. months later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You He's got like, caught up. Like, I just had to tell you I've been to jail before, and I was like, for what? And then he told me this story. Oh, my God. You got <laughs> caught up in, like, the in th- the wrong place at the wrong time in, this, in the evolution of this particular story in the history of music in the United States, which is Two Live Crew was absolutely fucking insane, and they were running around doing all this crazy stuff. And there was this fight between civil libertarians who said, hey, that's freedom of speech. That's what it is. And all of these, you know, right-wing freedom fighters who were saying that, you know, Two Live Crew is the downfall of American society. So you get caught in it, and then, obviously, you know, you paid some consequences because of their bad behavior. Did Two Live Crew ever come back and say anything to you guys? Like, did they? Did their management call? Did anybody from the representation call and say... And did the police ever go after two live crew? Why were they? No. Or did they say, no, they're beyond nope. the state lines. We're not getting them. Exactly. Yep. Nope. Our our attorneys, uh, we tried to reach out to them. We tried to get comments and and it just a, more validation that we did not know what was about to happen. That's all. You we, had nothing. That, yeah, that, you that's had nothing what we were looking for them to say. Say, hey, they, these wow. guys didn't know that this was about to happen. So, but no, we did. We never got anything from them. Interestingly enough, on the back end of the story. I actually was back at that jail again about a <laughs> y- about a year later, but I wasn't I wasn't a prisoner. I, oh, you were taking I, you were taking I, a I, tour I, of the facility. No, I, I was promoting another show at, at <laughs> in in the town, and one night Woody Harrelson no. walks in, walks into uh, walks into my my venue, and long story short, Woody ends up getting on stage, does a Beatles number with this this band that was on stage and then Woody and I ended up striking he was up a friendship he was shooting a film in Oxford and we became friends and he came out to my house we ended up spending about a week together uh, after that and he was he was shooting The People versus Larry Flint which as you know Larry Flint founder of Hustler and, yep. and he yep. famous had, movie and he had gone uh on multiple occasions, had faced uh, courts that were talking about his lewd and obscene uh, behavior through his magazine, and so they were filming the court scenes and the jail scenes for the People versus Larry Flint in Oxford. So I went back as a guest of Woody Harrelson's in the no same shit. in the same jail <laughs> in the same in the same you know. I had my I had my hand hand, oh my like a, hand on the glass and with the telephone the whole thing. So, anyway. you know what? We could spend an entire another show probably on your week with Woody Harrelson. I gotta oh. imagine. Do you still stay in? Just real quick, do you still stay in touch with him? I have a, I, I have a I have a good friend that does stay in touch with him, but no, I I, I have. A I did I did see him uh, after that week a couple times. But, uh, there, there's a whole him. other story about. Okay, this is what I want to do. We're, we're, we're coming up on an hour yeah. for this particular podcast, but what I would like to do is, Jeff, if we can invite you on again uh, for another episode, I'd like to do that. Chrissy, I want to get to your favorite, your craziest um, concert story. And Jeff, if you would join us for another episode, I think you, I think we've just scratched the surface of good stories between you and Hoadley. So I'll invite you on again. TCBpodcast.com is where you... T- I can't, I can't. 
can't even say this correctly. TCBpodcast.com <laughs> is where you go to find out more information about the show. Leave us a comment or a message or a question, and we will address it on the show if we like it. At the commercial break is your Instagram account. You can find us on Facebook. Join the group. Uh, and thanks for listening. Email us at thecommercialbeat at gmail.com. Find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Commercial Break. New episodes drop every Wednesday. We can be found on Spotify, iHeartMedia, Apple, Google, and all major podcast providers. The Commercial Break is a great middleweight production. Written and produced by Brian Green. Co-hosted by Chrissy Hogan.